Good morning. Glad you're here with us this morning. We are starting a series today, a message series we're calling Authentic Friends, because that's the kind of friends we want. We don't want fake friends or real enemies. We want authentic friends. Um, Relationships are the source of our greatest joys and our most painful hurts. And so in this series, we're going to dig into what it means in different arenas to be an authentic friend, why, why it's important to be an authentic friend and, and how to be one. Authentic means that something is real, not imitation or false. You, you can trust it because it has integrity. A friend is someone who desires good for you. And so, authentic friends are trustworthy people who desire good for you. This is what we want in our friendships. We're going to look at a whole spectrum, as I said, of relationships and God's purpose in those relationships over this series and the guidance that he gives to make those friendships good. Today, we're going to look at marriage and romance. And then next week on the 20th, football and foxholes. We're going to look at guys' friendships and um, why they're important, how to have good ones, why why we need them. Uh, And then finishing each other's sentences on the 27th is going to we're going to talk about friendships friendships among women and what God says about how to relate there and how how to find the help to have good relationships. Uh, woman to woman. And then on the 4th of October, we're going to be looking at more than a friend. Is it love? Dating relationships. And then the 11th, raising friends or growing your kids. Um, Trying try to figure out what God says about parenting in a way that doesn't build resentment into the kids so that when they get older, they still want to hang out with you. That's That's not only right, but Turns out to be really good the older you get. You want kids that will hang out with you. <laughs> you really do. Um, so those are those are some things that we're going to be look at, looking at in this series. We'd love to invite you to come back and make it a point to be with us every week and see what God says about these different kinds of relationships. Today, we're talking about marriage. When you think about marriage, you want an authentic friend with the added zing of attraction. That's, that's what we want in, in marriage. You want someone you can trust that you're attracted to. Um, I, I can still remember the first time I saw my wife, Cindy. She, she doesn't, probably, this is going to shock her, but I even remember the clue, what she had on. That's going to shock her, but because I can still see the scene in my mind. I can see... I was in it. We went to a small college together, same same place. And I was a sophomore. She was a freshman. And we were in the cafeteria. And there she is. Wow. Wow. She was wearing a corduroy pantsuit outfit. We're from the 70s. Come on. Corduroy pants, a little vest. I don't remember the blouse, but she, you know, I don't know. It all matched. It looked great. I thought she was great. (laughs) I can still remember that. Wow. 
I was smitten. And I went bonkers. Ask any of my friends from the era. I was bonkers over her. And so next thing I did is I, I sheepishly asked her on a date. And I'm not going to go into that story because it's pretty embarrassing how I approached it. That's another story. Another day. Maybe that's in the dating one. Maybe keep you in suspense. Um, I sheepishly took initiative to ask her out. She said yes. I was thrilled. We went on a date. We dated for three or four months. And then we broke up. Uh, it wasn't my choice, by the way. <laughs> um, but we broke up. And I pretended that I was completely okay with that, no problem. And I really wasn't. I treated her pretty badly. I actually ignored her. I gave her the cold shoulder. That's how I was making her pay for doing that to me. Didn't appreciate it. So we broke up. And then over the summer, God convicted me about the way I treated her. And so I asked her to forgive me for the way I treated her. Sparks began to fly. <laughs> the zing came back. Never left for me, really. Um, but but then we were engaged. We knew we were going to get married several weeks later. We got engaged and then married. And we've been married for 30 years. And that all those events happened 33 years ago. And the wow is still there. I'm still <clears throat> very much attracted to Cindy. It's it's a deeper wow. It's more like wow. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 deeper. <laughs> it's a little more mature, <laughs> but very much alive. Very very much alive. We we you know I I I'll say this. I'm I'm attracted to her after thirty thirty three years from that first moment. Now where does this attraction thing come from? I'll say it's not just a result of the evolutionary process. It's not just an instinct that we've developed over the years. There's more to it than that. So we're going to go back to, we have the ability to rewind and go back in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, which means beginnings. And we're going to look at the beginning and where this attraction came from. God had created the world, first couple chapters of Genesis, God created the world, and in the world he created a paradise called Eden. And then he put a man, the man he had created, in the paradise called Eden, and he put the man in charge of that paradise and the world. He was supposed to get dominion over the world. That means rule over it and subdue it and, and make it work for his good. And so... Put him in charge of it to, to care for it. And we're going to pick up the story there. We're going to read a passage in Genesis 2, 18 through 25. And we're going to try to pull some things to learn out of this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. When you're the first person in a place, you get to name stuff. I've never been there. I never named a street. I've never named a town. But when you're the first one there, you get to name it. And so Adam was the first human on the face of the earth. So he got to name all the stuff. So 
it goes on. It, it says, he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but there was no helper just right for him. So I'm sure that Adam began to notice that all the animals came in pairs. But there was no pair for him. There was no, no person like him. And the Lord already had this in mind. He had already figured out what he was going to do to fix that. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. After the naming, Adam takes a nap with God's help. And while the man slept, the Lord God took one of, uh, one of the man's ribs and he closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. Now, put yourself in this scene. Imagine this. You're, you're taking a nap. You're Adam. Okay, you're, you're Adam. You're taking a nap. Okay, guys, women are going to have a hard time imagining that. But, guys, you're Adam. You're waking up. And I don't know, I don't know if, God, if he just woke up on his own or if God sort of nudged him or whatever. But he wakes up and he sees God's latest creation for the very first time. Just like the time I saw Cindy. This is what he says. At last. Wow. He exclaimed. In the Hebrew it means this is right. This is proper. I like this. (laughs) This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. God, you sure got it right this time. This is, this is fantastic. This is just what I wanted and needed. And since he was on a roll naming things, he said, she will be called woman, which means she-man. Not incredibly creative, but <laughs> she-man. And so that's, that's what it means in, in Hebrew, literally, which is this passage was written in for the first time. Because she was taken from the man. Now, I know what he was thinking, Adam. Lord, this is a great trade. I give you a rib. You give me her. This is fantastic. What a deal. Yeah. So he's he's celebrating. And I never put this together, but look at the next verse. Like, I never put it together quite like I have this week. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. Now the man and wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So that, that, this, this attraction, this zing, this wow, it gets the whole marriage thing started, doesn't it? I mean, we, we knew that, but I never realized that's what it says right there. <laughs> that's what it's saying in that, in that kind of way. So you can see that this wow comes from God. He, he, is, he has built this attraction into us. First thing we learn is that God designed the delight. He designed the delight in each other physically. He intends sexual correct, uh, sexual, sexual attraction. Now, it can go very wrong, but he designed it. He, he wired it into us. He, he made us this way. He added the sparks to the relationship. And this makes life good. What, what you guys feel when you see an uh, appealing woman, God God wired that into you. And what you women feel when you see a man you'd like to have a relationship with, God wired that into you. This, this is from God. It's, it's a good thing. It's designed by God. God made us to delight in the other sex. 
Another thing we learn is that God designed the relationship himself between the man and the woman. He made men and women to be complementary opposites. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Men and women are designed to complement each other. She is a helper fit to him like opposite corners of a box. You don't have a whole box without both corners, with the opposite corners. It makes a whole box. That's, that's how we are. Both the men, both the man and the woman are fully human and of equal value before God. But each are different in a way that fits together. God's design is for us to be complementary opposites. Also, it's for us to be uniquely committed to one another. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined or sticks tightly to his wife and the two are united into one. That's Genesis 2.24. It's to be an exclusive relationship and you make it a priority over all other relationships. God meant for this relationship also to be two people who are authentic, intimate, lifelong companions. This is God's intent in marriage. Now, uh, notice that they were both naked and not ashamed. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. What, why no shame? Well, there's no reason for it. Shame, shame is an awareness that you've done something wrong. Uh, it, it, it doesn't enter the picture until later when the humans, first two humans, the man and the woman, rebelled against God and they began to sin, to choose to do life their own way. But sex inside marriage is designed by God and intended to be without shame. It's to be enjoyed. God made men and women to fit together in, in marriage. Marriage is intended to be a committed companionship. You see in uh, Malachi 2.14, it says, She is your com- companion, your wife by covenant. Without commitment, a couple's relationship never achieves the same things as it does in a marriage. <clears throat> so it's a very important thing. This is the way God designed it. This is the way God intended it. Third thing we pull out of this passage is that God offered the couple a great future. In verse 28 of Genesis 1, it says, God blessed them and said, Have many children and grow in number. Fill the earth and be its master. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There is a lot packed into this command. There is... Uh, There's family life, there's exploration, science, um, this this searching and looking and learning and growing and this ability to understand how we're wired together physically and, you know, our our different systems in our body so that we can fix things when they go wrong. There's there's a lot of this is a this is a great future that God offered the first man and woman. Okay, here I've given you. Life, I've given you this world, I've made it, and I want you to start figuring things out and, and reaching out and learning and beginning to put pieces together that 
you hadn't uh, had to get had had an understanding of before. So the, they could be vice regents with God, and under His direction, raise up a race and a civilization to develop an entire world through this exploration and dominion that they were to get. So that's that's what God did. That's God's intent. That's the design He originally had. So why does the wow not always turn into happy ever after? Why is that? Why is there such a power struggle between husbands and wives? And and why don't marriages last? Why does the wow fizzle? What why does it go away? Well we we also learn in scripture that rebellion entered the picture. So now there are some things about us natively that we, that we struggle with. Rather than live life God's way, we do life our way. Because of this rebellion, we're, we're born with some problems that can ruin our relationships and take the joy right, right out of them, especially in marriage. These, these are true of all relationships and they're true of uh, us as we struggle with them, but especially in marriage, they impact us because the stakes are so high. First, first native inborn struggle and problem we have is we're selfish and, and we're in this power struggle. Proverbs 22 says folly, stubborn, determined selfishness is the Hebrew definition. That's a, de- a specific uh, Hebrew word that means I am stubbornly selfish. (laughs) Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. If you doubt that, have one. (laughs) Hang out with them for a while. (laughs) You'll begin to see that that's the truth. We all struggle with this. And it's natural not to seek the good of our mate, but seek our own good. That's what's natural. That's what comes naturally. We want our way and we want it right now. We want what we want. So our selfishness hurts our mate. And it starts a power struggle that leads to arguments and games and deep wounds and resentment. Genesis 3.16 describes, this is God describing the consequence of that rebellion. You will want to control your husband, speaking to the wife, but he will dominate you. That's a description of the power struggle that goes on between a man and a woman. Also, because of this rebellion, we are natively arrogant. Ecclesiastes 9.3 says, The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, which means harm, and there is madness, which is an interesting description of arrogance. The Hebrew word actually means arrogance and self-praise. The hearts of men are full of these while they live, and afterward they join the dead. So we not only are selfish, but we feel like we deserve to have our our way. We deserve this stuff to, to go our way. And so we belittle our mates when they don't cooperate. We We deserve it, so we start putting them down and digging at them when they don't do what we want. And then... Third problem we have is harm. We, we, we tend to be harmful natively. We're harmful. When our goals are blocked, when we don't get our way, we say and do things that are spiteful and damaging. We, we either 
push the person out of the way altogether or we try to force them to do things our way. Or we get even with them for, for blocking us from having what we want. We blame, we annoy, we irritate, and we manipulate. This is some of our weapons that we use. Now, some of us are nicer than others. Some are quick-tempered, some are slower to anger, but we all hurt each other. And when we hurt, when we get hurt, we go full speed towards selfishness, arrogance, and harm. We, we, we crank it up. And this hurts. And it's hard to get over the hurt. We try to let it go and swallow our pride, but, but after a while the hurts start piling up and the resentment begins to build and it strangles the joy out of our relationship. So after years of power struggle in a marriage and after the hurt that piled up over years, the wow turns into wow. What is this? So somewhere in the middle years, our hearts harden and grow cold toward one another and intimacy dies. So even men with beautiful wives look look at them and feel nothing. Not even sexual interest. And women with handsome husbands look and feel only spite. They don't want to be close to them any longer. This piles up. Like the righteous brothers, we lose that loving feeling. And it, it's, not, it's not fun. They captured it in a, in, a, in a song. But that is disappointing, and it hurts. The wow is gone. So how do you keep the wow? There's some real help in Scripture for doing that. Let's look at some keys to that. First thing, set your heart to grow your relationship. It takes work. I, I, Cindy and I bought a house 12 years ago. I had never had to. I'd always lived either in an apartment or a condo and never had to worry about growing grass. Okay, I bought a house, no grass. I had to figure out how to grow the grass. My friends, who were more experienced than me, at whom I looked down on because they obviously didn't know that I was going to figure out how to grow grass. It wasn't going to be that big a deal. Um, told me, don't, don't plant, you know, plant as little grass as you can. I thought, no, I want grass for the kids. I like grass. And sure enough, you plant grass, you got to figure, you got to think about things you've never thought about before. You know, you got to worry about the little parasites. You've got to worry about whether it's getting water, if it's in the shade, if it's not in the shade. And and you you got to you've got to think about it. You've got to be committed to green grass and you have to grow your knowledge and you have to learn about all kinds of stuff that, frankly, I don't care about all that stuff. I understand what my friends were saying, which is the case with me whenever I thought, yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, I want grass. <clears throat> that artificial stuff looks better all the time. But then again, I still got grass, so. But anyway, you think about all kinds of things you haven't thought about before. It takes commitment to grow things. And that's the truth. That's the case in your relationships. 
In the same way, a relationship needs the right soil. Commitment. Proverbs 19, what a man desires is unfailing love. We, we long for this. We want to know somebody's going to stick with us. If you plant intimacy and non-commitment in a relationship, you're stirring into the soil fear, resentment, jealousy, and uncertainty, and you'll more than likely have to keep negotiating with the person to stick around. If you plant commitment, marriage, then you have a better chance of making it. A relationship also requires intelligent care over time. I read the back of fertilizer bags, and I try to figure out how to do it. There's a plan. There's a, there's a company that has a fertilizer plan. Every, every so, so often, you use this. You use the pesticide before the summer. You use this to get rid of the parasites. And so you, 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 you think about this stuff. It, it requires intelligent care to grow a lawn, and more than that, intelligent care to grow a relationship. It's crucial that we learn. So it's important, number two idea, learn how to understand the opposite sex, care for and protect your relationship, detect and stop your bad attitudes and manipulative strategies before they go into play. It's better before. And work through problems together. If, if you want to grow your relationship and keep the wow factor moving for and growing and and alive. It's important to realize that the biggest challenge is our heart. Matthew 15, this is the comment Jesus made. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. This is where the selfishness and the arrogance and the hurtful stuff comes from. This is where it all gets started. And this is where we need the help. If you want to have good relationships, then you need a heart change. You need a help right down here in the depths of your heart. And God is the one who can change it. And he can begin to help you work through these things. God gives a new heart with new possibilities. For Cindy and I, we tell the couples that we meet with before I do the wedding, there is only, there is only one reason we are still married after 30 years. It's our relationship with the living God. The guy, the man who married us before our wedding, he sat down and he drew out a little diagram. He said, here's Randy, here's Cindy, and here's God. If you'll both keep walking toward God, you, you will, um, grow toward one another as well. And that's been the case, which was really important because the other guy we met with for marriage counseling, he gave us a little psychological test. And as we sat down to get the results of our test, he said, I have never seen two more opposite people in my entire life. And so we really needed this walk with God. We needed his help to not tear each other apart. And at least it kept it down to a minimum. Maybe not. Maybe less than it would have been. Trying to be honest here. But that walk with God, the help that he gives to keep, because I don't natively want to keep loving my wife or getting outside of my comfort zone and doing the things that are going to bless her. I natively want her to do what I want and what I need. And so 
what it what happens as you walk with God and as you relate to him is he gives the power that you need to keep doing right by the other person and really love them. And you don't do it perfectly. You never do. You always struggle. But there's this power that he gives from the depths of your heart to do right and love. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27 says, I will give you a new heart. This is a promise that God was making, and he was looking forward to the time when Jesus would come and what he would do in the people who follow Jesus. I will give you a new heart, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. When you give control of your life to the Lord, he moves inside of you. He takes up residence inside of you, and he gives you insight about the wrong you're about to do or the wrong you've just done. He, he helps you understand that. He prompts you to move past yourself, to sacrifice. He gives you the power to change your attitude when, when, when you don't want to. And, and over time, he changes your heart. You don't, you don't become perfect. You're still yourself. But boy, he works in you to make the changes. If you'll keep, if you'll hang in there and keep cooperating with him, Humbly admitting, God, I keep blowing it. I need your help. The moment you admit it, he forgives and he gives you power to do what you're, you're needing to do. He changes your heart over time. Galatians 5 describes the changes. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is planted in our hearts and he produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. These are good things. These, these things God grows in you over time as you walk with him. Which of these things wouldn't help you in your marriage? This is what you need. You need this stuff for your marriage and for other relationships. God gives us the wow and he gives us, he wants to give us the power to watch it deepen over a lifetime. The power for this comes from God. And before I wrap up, I'd like to share with you how to establish a spiritual base for your life. If you've, if you've never decided to follow Christ, this is, this is what you would choose to do. And this is the key to heart change. And you may be ready to pray a prayer and make this commitment right now, or maybe not. But at least you'll have the information on how to establish this spiritual base that allows God's heart to be planted in you and begin to make these changes. First of all, you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and proved he was God by coming back to life. It's the first thing I do. Secondly, I accept God's free forgiveness for my sins. Then I switch to God's plan for my life. I don't, I don't do my plan anymore. I'm going to go God's way and live life the way he said. And then finally, <clears throat> I express my desire for Christ to be the leader of my life. That's how you establish a, a spiritual base for your life. If you're willing to take, <clears throat> excuse me, If, <clears throat> if you're willing to take these four steps, then you can know God personally. 
And you can take them right now by praying this simple prayer. Would everyone bow with me? And if you are ready to commit your life to follow Christ and establish this spiritual base, you can pray this prayer. Pray it with me. Dear God, I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to die for my sins so I can be forgiven. I'm sorry for my sins, and I want to live the rest of my life the way that you want me to. Please put your spirit in me to direct my life. Amen. Father, we thank you for the work that you do in our hearts. I thank you for the help that you've given me over the years to keep loving Cindy and and caring for her. And I thank you for just the the help that turns me inside out to keep uh, showing kindness. and, And when I don't, when I'm selfish and arrogant and hurtful, you give me the grace when I need it and forgive. God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the help that you've given us in in your word uh, for relationships. And I pray that you would would, uh, help us to take the steps that you lay on our heart to take as we follow you this week. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.